We're continuing in Romans 7 here, and last week we looked at verses 1 through 6, and we talked about through an illustration of a, of a Christmas tree versus a fruit tree, and we asked ourselves which one our lives resembled the most. And uh, I was reminded, Doug Gilcrease reminded me afterwards, he kept hoping that I would go to this passage in Jeremiah 7, and it sums up what we said last week, and so I want to I read it this week uh, for you. Jeremiah 17, write this down, Jeremiah 17, verses 5 through 8. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read these, because it falls right in line with where we are in Romans, right in line with what we said last week. It even falls in line with our culture, and, and I want to speak to that uh, carefully, but just some of the things that have been going on. And Jer- Jeremiah says, Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind. Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind, and makes flesh his strength, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. For he will be like a bush in the desert, and he will not see when prosperity comes, but will live in stony wastes in the wilderness, a land of salt without inhabitant. Blessed is the man, as opposed to cursed in verse 5, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, and whose trust is the Lord. For he will be like a tree planted by the water, that extends its roots by a stream, and will not fear when the heat comes, But its leaves will be green, and it will not be anxious in a year of drought, nor cease to yield fruit. You know, Paul has just said in Romans 1 through 6 that trusting in self, trusting in the law for your righteousness, trusting in your ability to obey the law, it's dead fruit. It's dead. As opposed to trusting in Christ for our righteousness which bears fruit to God. And that's essentially what Jeremiah is saying here. And the challenge before all of us is verse 9 in Jeremiah. Here's the problem. Here's why man will never keep the law perfectly. Here's why even if you kept the law perfectly, what we'll see today, what Paul says about coveting. Listen to verse 9. The heart is more deceitful than all else, and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Do you see the issue? The issue is our heart. The, the issue is that, that we can be deceived about who we are. We can deceive others externally and put on all these good works and look real pretty and put together externally and all the while have a heart that really isn't in the same place that our, that our externals present us to be, right? We can do everything externally. We can obey the law. We can do these things, and it never impact our heart. And that's really what, what Paul is, is in, some way, in many ways getting at even here. Uh, appearances not matching the inside. I think that's why all throughout the New Testament there's a command, it's so prevalent, it says, do not be deceived, do not be deceived, do not be deceived, do not be deceived. Even in our culture today, 
Uh, and, and again, I don't want to, I'm not, I'm the last person that's in tune with what's going on in the, in the culture or, or whatever. And, but yet, it, we need to understand what's going on. And, and, and even in the last few weeks, prominent, prominent Christians have, have, have in, whether it's uh, Joshua Harris or this past week, I believe it was the, the writer for Hillsong. I think the writer for Hillsong. Many of their songs has said, "Do not call me a Christian. I'm not. Do not call me a Christian." They've written apologies to to these organizations that their their theology and the Word of God and calling sin sin. They've written apologies to these organizations, saying, "You know, we're sorry." Do Do you understand how arrogant? I mean, think for a second. Think for in light of what we just sang. That you know better than God. You're wiser than God. That, that, that's, my, that's my great fear for, for... Karen and I talk about that for our kids. It's, it's my great fear for us. It's our great fear for us as a church. That we can look well put together on the outside and it never change our hearts. Even that our kids could conform externally while they're under our roofs, and then, but it never capture their hearts. They know the gospel, but do they trust in the gospel? That's the challenge. And our hearts, Jeremiah says, our hearts are desperately wicked. Who can understand them? That's why we make such a big deal about the Word of God, and that's why we, we go in depth in the Word of God. And I realize that, that some of the things we say in here are heavy. I realize that they're deep. But listen, it's the Word of God that we need more than anything, not, not gimmicks. We're not here to play around. Sin is real. Satan prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And at the end of the day... Listen, is there salvation found in none other than Jesus Christ? We would say yes. Jesus Christ alone is our righteousness. I realize that the world doesn't like that. The world doesn't want to hear that. Listen, and, and, and there's such a thing as sin. I realize that's not popular. I realize that's not cool today. But listen, God has drawn a line. And we have that in the Word. This word reveals his righteousness. It reveals sin as being unrighteous. And just mere this law, it's not going to change our hearts. Just merely conforming, going through the motions. Listen, that's not changing a heart. We need heart transplants. We need new hearts. And the law never did anything about their heart condition. And again, when Paul says here uh, over and over, as we saw in chapter 6 and we saw in, in 520, really beginning, the law came so that the transgression would increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign in righteousness. When he says at the end of chapter 6, but now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification and the outcome of eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Here, here's, here's what I don't want. 
I, I don't want us to turn away from that ever. So we're going to do the best we can for whoever comes here. We're going to unashamedly preach the word. And we're going to hold the word up high. And we're going to call sin what it is, sin. And we're going to preach that we're going to stick to this word. Why? Because I don't want your I don't want my kids and I don't want your kids and I don't want you repeating the errors of Joshua Harris and others who turn away and look for look for salvation in something else and then say, "Oh yeah, by fo follow me." That doesn't make any sense. The, the Bible is going to tell you, listen, there is salvation found in no one other than Jesus Christ. He alone is righteous. And, and again, th there is a, and, and I've said it before, there is a, a, and I think we're part of the problem. We, we have heralded a gospel for generations that, that, that destroys the need for sanctification. It's a transactional thing instead of a relational thing. Instead of trusting daily in Christ for our righteousness, it's repeat after me and then go live however you want to live. That's not the gospel. The gospel is waking up every day, me trusting in Jesus Christ alone for my righteousness. It's not praying a prayer, it's not repeating a prayer once, you know, in your child's bedroom, and then as we as parents think our job is done. That's, that's a lie. We need to grow up. If you really are saved, grow up in that. Why? So that you'll be 1 Corinthians 15, you'll be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. So that you would be Ephesians 4, not tossed around by every wind and wave and trickery of doctrine, but you'd be steadfast that, that Jesus Christ is the treasure in the field that's worth leaving everything else for. And you don't get there with games and gimmicks. You, you get there with preaching the word, and so we're going to preach the word. And Paul is not saying, again, when he talks about not under the law, he's not saying that we're lawless. I mean, you think about it, just real quickly, First Galatians 6, chapter 2, listen to what it says. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. You go to 1 Corinthians 7, same thing, 9. What Paul is saying is he's not looking to the Mosaic law and his obedience as his righteousness. Listen to Galatians 2, 19, and I think Paul says it very well here. He says, for though I died, for, for through the law I died to the law. Why? So that I might live to God. Isn't that what Paul said? We die to the law so you can what? Be joined to another. Our righteousness is found in Christ alone. And you've you got to understand, for Paul to say that, the natural, the natural inclination for him would be, well, you're saying the law is bad. Paul, no, he's not saying the law is bad. And that's really where chapter 7 comes in. Paul is defending God and the law, the Mosaic law. Because, again, a, a Jewish person who would have grown up under that all their life they, they would have had a, a, a tendency to, or, or a real tendency to look for it, look to it as their righteousness. I, I believe that's what Paul is saying to someone in Philippians 3. Looking at his doing and doing and doing and that being where his righteousness comes from. And Paul is saying, no, Christ is our righteousness. And I think there's a mistake to look at 
look at our law keeping as our righteousness. But I think in Galatians 3, 1 through 3, Paul hits at another mistake here that we, that we deal with. And, and again, we're going into Romans 7 so you understand how important this is that we understand Romans 7. Romans 3, verses 1 through 3. Listen to what he says to the Galatians. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing by, with faith? And here it is, verse 3. Are you so foolish? Having gun by the Spirit, begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? I think one of the great dangers, misunderstandings in Christianity is think, okay, God, I got it from here. I'll take it from here. I know by the Spirit you raised me from the dead, blah, blah, blah. But I'll take it from here and I'll just pull up my bootstraps and I'll bay and I'll grip my teeth instead of living by the Spirit. And Paul's going to get into that in Romans 8 as well. Listen, God doesn't adopt us and then it becomes up to, up to us to keep us. We saw that in 1 Peter. You are protected, verse 5, verse chapter 1, 1 Peter, by the power of God. He keeps you if you're His. And what God has called us to do is not going to be accomplished in the flesh. It's going to be accomplished by filling ourselves up with this word, becoming filled, quote-unquote, Ephesians 5.18, with the Spirit, and now it's the Spirit that controls me and lives through me. That's what Paul is going to say again in Romans 8.12, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. He'll say it in Galatians 5, walk by the Spirit and you will crucify the desires of the flesh. How do you kill sin? By walking according to the Spirit. By the Word of God, Colossians 3.16, richly dwelling in us. It's a spirit-generated, spirit-empowered life. And the tendency for us is, oh, I'm saved, I'm good. And we negate the word, we negate fellowship, we negate all the things that God has called us to that grow us, that equip us, that fill us, that empower us. And one day, we might walk away. That, that's part of even why we gather here, why weekly we gather, Hebrews 10, to encourage one another, to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, to remind ourselves to look to none other than Jesus Christ for our righteousness. And to forsake that would be foolish. To think that our work is done as a parent because our kid prayed a prayer or did something in their room or whatever as a child is foolish if you think your work is done as a parent. That's why Peter says again in 1 Peter 2, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk. Why? So that by it you may grow up in respects to salvation. Grow up. Why? So you need to be firm, steadfast, immovable. That's Ephesians 4. Again, I said it. My job as a pastor is to equip you, to, to help you to, to, to seek maturity in the faith so that you're not tossed around by every wind and wave and trickery of doctrine. That you'd be resolute and steadfast that in Jesus Christ alone there is eternal life. And what Paul is getting at here is not that we're lawless, it's just that we don't find our righteousness through keeping the Mosaic law. 
our righteousness is found in Christ alone. Again, this is, this is connected even back to 320. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. Where is our righteousness? That even that is, I, I, I was talking, I was thinking about it the other, this day and was talking to somebody, even the, even the words that people say when we're even sharing the gospel, we don't even use the words that the Bible uses. So that maybe so that it'd be more palatable or accepting. Listen, you can't change the formula of the pill and expect the pill to work. When you start messing with the chemical formula of the, like, oh, well, this, this, Let's, let's make this medicine more tasty so we'll change the formula. The problem is it doesn't work. You start taking away the elements of the gospel that people don't want to deal with, people don't, that, that may separate you or isolate you, you start taking those out. Listen, you change the gospel and it no longer works. Right? I, I, that's just the way it is. And, and, and Paul, understand, Paul would have been attacked, especially as a Jewish person, as having hated the law or saying wrong things about the law or, or saying that the law was bad. And Paul is saying, no, 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 no. Don't disconnect the New Testament from the Old Testament. I understand what God was doing in the Old Testament with the law. He was driving you to Christ. That's what he's, he's going to explain here. He's defending, he's defending the goodness of the law. He's simply saying that's not where your righteousness is found in law keeping. Your righteousness is not found in being good enough. It's not found in decorating yourselves like we said last week, like a Christmas tree. And your righteous deeds being ornaments that you hang on your life. All week I have, I have talked to our kids. We, by the grace of God, were able to bring in little AJ on Monday. And thank you for people for the meals that is awesome. And all week, it's given me the chance to talk to my kids that, listen, you, because, and, and this is where even Paul is getting at. You do something, you do something that the word of God commands. If you're not careful, pride can creep in, right? Let's be honest. Pride can creep in. So now I've obeyed this part of the law, but now I've broken that part of the law. Or, or that, you know, God, God must really love me. You know, I'm doing this and this. I'm giving up my sleep. And, and all week I've been telling our kids, listen. Our righteousness is in Jesus Christ. Your righteousness, Bradley, Sarah Grace, is in Jesus Christ. You know why AJ is in our house? Because Jesus Christ is our righteousness. You know why AJ is in our house? Because God has commanded us to love the widows and the orphans. We're doing this as an expression of gratitude because Christ is our righteousness. Any ounce of arrogance, any ounce of pride, any ounce of anything that thinks God loves you because AJ is in our house is sin. God loves you because he loves Christ and Christ is in you. The hope of glory. But the, the question becomes, again, okay then, if we're not saved through the law, what's the point of the law? That's what Paul is answering here. And, and again, we don't necessarily, we won't necessarily, we don't necessarily grasp this again because again, not having grown up as Paul would have grown up and in this culture, but again, even thinking about the whole picture of, of Romans, unity, 
of helping the Gentiles and the Jews have unity. Because this, the role of the law is huge. All throughout these, when G- Gentiles are now freely coming in and, and the gates have been opened, so to speak, not that they weren't always, but the issue was, okay, does a, does a Gentile basically have to become a Jewish person in order to be a Christian? And Paul keeps saying no. Do they have to be circumcised? Do they have to do this? Do they have to do that? Paul says no. Okay, so what's the point of the law? Paul's going to answer that. And, and again, the law was very, very good. Very good. Any accusation would be false to the, to the, to the contrary. And you see on your handout the, the main point of what Paul is saying here about the law, the Mosaic law, again, the Mosaic law. The Mosaic law is good in that it exposes the depth of our sin and our need for a Savior But the problem is, is that it has no power to defeat our sin. It doesn't provide the power to defeat your sin. That's what Jeremiah was getting at in chapter 7. I mean, 17. The heart is desperately wicked. Who can understand it? You and I need someone to do something about our hearts. Mere rules aren't going to cut it. And Paul in this section is defending the law, the Mosaic law. And the, it, again, get, and because Paul has given somewhat of a negative assessment of the law in, in some people's eyes, they're saying, okay, how did this gift of God, Paul, become such a negative influence in our lives then? How can you state, the, Paul, that the law is good, and yet at the same time it brings forth more sin? And what he puts forth here, you see it in your handout. Paul teaches us, listen, that it's our sinful nature that took the law that was given by God for our good to expose sin and need for a Savior and turned it into something that actually produced more sin. It's our sin nature. And listen, I bet all of our lives bear witness to somebody giving you something good and your sinful nature turning it into something bad. Taking a good gift... And turning it into something bad. They use, again, they, they look to it for the wrong reason. And what Paul is showing here is the main objective is to make it clear the law is not the issue. Again, Paul is exonerating the law of the Mosaic law of any wrongdoing. Look at verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. On the, that, that's his answer to whether the law is bad. The, law, the Mosaic law is not bad. That's not the problem. Listen, the, the, how can something from God, as, from God, as God is clearly the originator of the Mosaic law, how could it have become so negative in our lives? And Paul is vindicating the law here, the Mosaic law, and you see it on a handout, two, two purposes. Number one, he seeks to vindicate the Mosaic law from any suggestion that it itself is sinful. And, and look at what he does here. Walk through it real quick. Look at, verse, uh, look at verse 12. The law is holy. The commandment is holy and righteous and good. I mean, the law is not the problem. 
But secondly, what Paul seeks to do here in this section is explain, the word there is explain, how despite the origin and characteristics of the Mosaic Law, it has become a negative force in human history, if you will. Like he would say in chapter 4, verse 15, that it, that it works wrath. For the law brings about wrath, but where there is no law, there is no violation. And in 520, as I read, the law came that the transgression would increase. Okay, what do you mean, Paul? And you see it on a handout. Paul uses this section of Scripture in Romans to make it clear, again, the issue is inside of us. It's not the law. The issue is inside of us. It's our sin nature. It's our hearts. Again, this is why we showed you last week with Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34 and Ezekiel 36, 26 and following that God says, I will put my spirit in you and cause you to walk. I will give you a new heart. We need something. What Paul is saying is this. You and I need something to defeat our sin. The law does not defeat sin. And what Paul says here is it actually does the opposite. Not only does it not defeat sin, it actually exposes it and brings about more sin. And what Paul is doing here is saying it's not the law's fault. He's exposing the real nature, the real power of our sin. And, and that's why, again, that's, that's the issue in my kids, in your kids, in my life, in your life, is, is changing the heart. Because we can do all the things externally. We can do all the motions externally. And internally not love God. That's the challenge. And what Paul is saying is that the law simply exposed, it exposed God's holiness and at the same time it, explo- it exposed our wretchedness. It exposed our true colors. And what it, what it did, what it was meant to do, was expose our need for a substitute. To expose our need for somebody to do the law, to keep the law on our behalf. Listen, that is exactly what Paul says in Galatians 3.24. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. The point is to expose our sinfulness. To drive God's creation to look for a substitute. To look for a savior who could be righteous for them. That was the whole point of the law. It was not, to be mean, it was not meant to be a means of your righteousness. Listen, Deuteronomy 6 says, if you kept it, Deuteronomy 6, I think it's 25. If you kept it, it will be righteousness for you. That's the point. You can't keep it. You fall short. So therefore, you're not righteous. Therefore, you need someone to be righteous for you. And again, even there, you know, I, I, I see these, these tracks, and I, and I don't mean to be negative. It's just, it's just hard for me to comprehend, and I struggle with these things mightily because you see these things, and, and the question they pose is, do you want to go to heaven? I don't see that question here. The question is not, do you want to go to heaven? Because the natural question, if you said that to me and I was an unbeliever, I'd say, why do you think I'm not going to heaven already? 
The question is, is not, are you good? The question is not, are you good enough? The biblical question is this, are you righteous? And the answer is no. There is none righteous. No, not one. We saw that in Romans 3. Therefore, we need a Savior. And the law is not sin. But it does expose our sin. There's a relationship there, and that's what you see on your handout. And this is really seven verses 7 through 11 in, in overview real quick. The, Paul says here, look what he says about the Mosaic Law and, and its relationship to sin. The Mosaic Law establishes sin, verse 7. For I would not have come to know sin except through the law. The law puts it in black and white. Here it is. Here's, here's the line. You ever been driving? I, 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 one time I was driving and, and Karen said, what's the speed limit? I said, I have no idea what this I literally had no idea what the speed limit was. You know, so you go what you think is a reasonable speed. That may vary compared to different people. But, like, the problem is you literally can be on a road and not know. But the second you see the speed limit and it says 55, guess what it has just done? It established sin. 56 is sin. What did you say, 76? <laughs> 65, yeah. For most of us, we interpret like multiples of 10. Whatever the speed limit is, add 8, and you're okay. But you see what he's saying? The mosaic, again, is the, but you don't drive down the road. Well, you might, but you drive the road, that stinking sign, that 55, that's, what? They, I can drive better than that. That sign establishes the law. Listen, to go 56, transgression. That's what transgression means, to go beyond. You, you can't argue that you don't know any better. That's what the, that's what the Mosaic law, here's, here's what holiness looks like. Measure up. But not only does it establish sin, it reveals sin. I would not have known about coveting if the law had said, you shall not covet. It exposes like an x-ray machine. You know, you, you get injured. You don't, we had to go yesterday to, to get Bradley a sports physical, and people came in there, and they're injured, and they were like, well, we need to get you in here and get an x-ray. What does the x-ray do? The x-ray exposes what's going on. It reveals it. But, but it also, the Mosaic Law, increased sin. Look at 8 and 9. Sin, taking the opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. I was once alive from the law, but when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. Listen, here's what I know about us and our sin nature. You know what rules do? Rules arouse disobedience. Right? Tell somebody they can't do something. All of a sudden, they want to do it. You didn't care before. Now there's a rule that says I can't. Oh, really? Hmm, okay. But the Mosaic Law also, you see it in your handout, raises the seriousness of sin. We know better. Your kid does something and they didn't, you weren't real clear, that's one thing. Your kid does something and you were very clear, that's another thing, right? It raises the seriousness of it. 
And the Mosaic Law does all of this. It shows, and think about this, and, and, and I, I, think about this illustration. Suppose, so I'm assuming you looked in a mirror before you, you left your house this morning, and suppose on that full body mirror, suppose there was a silhouette, an outline of what the perfect you looks like. If you were the healthiest, if you were a perfect human being, Physically, here's what you would look like. Ideal height, ideal weight, everything. Here's what the silhouette. Silhouette. Imagine every day standing in front of that silhouette. And imagine every day seeing where you have transgressed the boundary, let's say. Or in my case, maybe I don't reach the boundary. I fell short. There's nothing, you want to talk about destroying your pride? Take my body on a high school campus with my son and everybody is bigger than me. Like, Karen, if I don't wear this visitor badge, they're going to put me in a classroom. Like, they're going to think I'm skipping school. But, but every day you lay, you stand in front of that mirror and you lay yourself on top of the perfect ideal self. Imagine every single day seeing where you fell short. Think about how frustrating that would be. Think about how tempting it might be to move the standard. Think about how tempting it might be to create ways to measure up without actually measuring up. Think about the tendency to get mad at the line. You know what I mean? Get mad at the line. It's not the line's fault. All of that to, to preserve self, right? All of that so that we don't have to say, I'm the issue. All the way back to the garden, what Adam say? Who made me do it? That woman you gave me made me do it. Not my fault. Again, anything so that the fault doesn't fall on us. In this case, oh, the law must be bad. No, the law isn't bad. Listen, and, and, and I'll move on because I think we get the illustration. I don't want to beat that, beat that one too far, but that's the Mosaic Law, if you will. The Mosaic Law shows you this is what righteousness looks like. And here's the conclusion that you will always come to when you come to the Mosaic Law. I'm not righteous. God is holy. I am not. You see it in your handout. The Mosaic Law makes it clear that we fall short of the glory of God, helping us understand just how sinful we are. And listen, we can do everything. The challenge is this. We can do everything externally and it still not change our hearts. You can, you can invite a kid into your house and take care of them and have a bad heart. And we can look real good on the outside. Oh, look what, look what the Harveys are doing, or look what the Hudsons are doing, or look at what the Hamptons are doing, and look at all these families that bring in kids. What are their hearts? Because if they're deriving their righteousness from external doing, they got a big problem. But if their hearts are sold out for the Lord, and they're doing what they're doing because of gratitude for their Savior... If they realized that they were the orphan, if they realized that they were the one who was fatherless and God adopted them, and now in response to that, they're doing the same, 
now we're on to something. You know why? Because the heart, it's a heart. And just like an x-ray machine, you can think of an illustration, you know, an x-ray machine. An x-ray machine simply reveals the problem. It doesn't solve the problem. All an x-ray machine does is say, hey, that's broke. Hey, you know, and, and again, pray for Sarah Thayer. Last night I happened to call Chris about something and Sarah Thayer in the hospital running all kinds of tests. She has appendicitis. They're having surgery today. They ran all kinds of tests. Here's what the test did. The test exposed that she had a problem, appendicitis. Was the test bad? It did exactly what it was supposed to do. It just didn't fix the problem. The law exposes that you and I are unrighteous. Therefore, we begin to look, right? To look for a solution to our unrighteousness. That, that was the whole point. To expose our need for a Savior. And, and I think that's what Paul is, is getting at. It's the sinful nature in chapters, in verse 7. Of all the, think about this, when, you, when I read verse 7, of chapter 7, you, I would not have known coveting if the law had not said coveting, you shall not covet. Here, here's what I ask myself. Of all the sins that Paul could have chosen, that seems to be a weird one. Right? Like of all the sins, coveting? Why'd you pick coveting, Paul? I mean, why not stealing or murder or lying or... And I think Paul, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, does this purposefully. I think he does it masterfully. And I think he does it to bring home his point. Here's the thing. Coveting is not something externally, externally that you do. Coveting is something internally that you feel and think. Right? It's internal. And I think Paul is drilling home the point here. Coveting is a heart issue that leads to other sins. But the root, the root of those other sins is a heart issue. And, and, and we think no one sees it, or so we think. I, I think it's possible that you could, you could walk through, starting in ver, uh, the commandment number five, you could walk through those commandments and think, you know what? I've never killed somebody. I've never stolen. I, I obey my parents. I never lie. And you might think, at least outwardly, that you haven't transgressed. You would feel good about your own righteousness. And then all of a sudden, number 10 says, do not covet. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Here's what I mean by that. Long before you kill somebody, you had an attitude against them that was foul. Long before you lied, lied there was a hard attitude. Long before whatever it is, there was a hard attitude that you didn't deal with, right? That's the point. L listen to James 1. So, so before we get arrogant and thinking we're good out externally, Paul is saying internally you're a, you're a wretch. Listen to Ch James chapter 1, verse, starting verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I ain't being tempted by God. Do you see how, de that's how deceitful we are. Like, oh, God is tempting me. God don't tempt you. Listen. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. 
Go over to chapter 4. Listen to what he says in 1 through 3. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? This is one of the most widely quoted verses in the Basham household. Is it not the pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and you do not have, so you commit murder. You're envious and you cannot contain, so you fight and quarrel. If you have kids, they like to fight and quarrel. You do not have, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. See the heart issue so that you may spend it on yourself and your own pleasures. Here's my point. Where does sin begin? The heart. It begins with coveting. In many ways, coveting is kind of the sin behind all other sins in a way, in a lot of ways. Which might be why it comes last. Martin Luther said this, listen to this. He says, why do we steal? You covet what someone else has. Why do you lie? Quite often it's because you want something you can't get if you tell the truth. So you exaggerate your accomplishments or minimize your faults to gain approval. Or you lie to obtain a position or an advantage you couldn't get with the truth. Why commit adultery? You covet sex with someone God hasn't given you, and so on and so on. That's the, you get the point. I mean, that's essentially what Jesus railed against in Matthew 5 through 7 with the Pharisees. They looked really good externally. What do you call them? Whitewashed tombs. Outwardly, they looked apart, but they never dealt with it. They would have said, we never committed adultery. Did you lust after her? Oh, we've never killed anybody. Were you angry with him? Coveting. Heart issue. The, 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 the difficulty in all of this is, listen, we are, every single one of us in this room could be here right now for the wrong reasons. Every single one of us could be in this room right now for the wrong reasons. Every single one of us could go around to our neighbors when we go home. I was in church and act all righteous in front of them, and yet you weren't here for the right reasons. That's how desperately wicked our hearts are. That's how in desperate need we are the Word of God to richly dwell within us, to subdue our wretched heart, to change our heart, to overpower our old hearts. We can do everything for the wrong reasons. And the issue is our hearts. That's what Jeremiah says in 17.9. That's what Paul is getting at here. The law never did anything to change their hearts. And you see it on the handout. What we learn here and from the law is that sin is so much deeper than merely doing or not doing something. So much deeper. And that's where we can get deceived about our own righteousness. Oh, I haven't done this or that. But we never dealt with the fact that we wanted to. That maybe the reason we didn't do this or that is because we just didn't have the right opportunity to. You know, oh, I don't, I don't want those things. I'm not, I'm not materialistic like them. But are you jealous? Are you jealous that they have all those things? Maybe if you had the resources, you'd have all those things. You just don't have the resources to get them. And so now you look self-righteous like, oh, I'm not materialistic. No, but you're jealous. You just haven't had the opportunity. But my point is, do you see how desperately wicked we are? Do you sin is so much deeper than just doing something or not doing something? It's a heart issue. 
And, and we become self-righteous. We, we, be, we begin to go, in a sense, to our own little law and find our righteousness. And Paul is saying, die to that. Live to Christ. If you're looking to the Mosaic law for your standing and your righteousness before God, listen, all, the only verdict that will ever present to you is failure. Guilty. The only verdict that the law is going to present to you, if you're looking for your righteous standing before God, the only verdict the law is going to offer is guilty. Why? Because we fall short. I, I, dare, say, I dare say, even in our own lives of doing the right things, we've fallen short even in doing the right things. I mean, I think about this last week in even in having someone in our home and, and doing clearly what God has called, my heart ain't always been there because you know what? The cost, the interruption, the inconvenience. I got two kids that can feed themselves, clean themselves, bathe themselves. They're pretty self-sufficient. Karen and I could disappear and they'd live for a long time by themselves. <laughs> Sleep through the night. Hello, somebody. You serving with joy at two in the morning? Three in the morning, four in the morning. Even in doing what is right, what is commanded, I need a heart that's different than the one I got. And, and that's where Isaiah 64, 6, it says, even our deeds done in righteousness. Listen to this. Even our deeds, Isaiah 64, 6, are, that are done in righteousness are but filthy rags. Listen, they're tainted. They're stained. Best, the best I got is filthy rags. If I'm looking for that to be my righteousness. And what the law does is expose us. Exposes the depth of our sin. In many cases, listen, in many cases, we're the leper. You know, and, and everything the leper, touch, and leper touched, guess what? Became what? Polluted. In many cases, that's our, that's our righteous deeds. Because I'm stained. I need Christ. I don't want to be a Christmas tree that's okay with just hanging ornaments all over my life and never abide in Christ. And never experience the joy of abiding in Christ. And Paul is saying, die to the law as a means of being declared righteous before God. You and I are so sinful, we cannot keep the law perfectly. Therefore, it's a failure. And that's why Paul is saying, join yourselves to Christ alone, who is and who offers perfect righteousness. I mean, my heart, my heart aches for these guys the last couple weeks, these prominent guys who are coming out boldly and just saying, don't call me a Christian. You are turning away from the only source of righteousness. You're abandoning the only source of righteousness. And Paul is saying, die. Die to, to thinking you're good enough. Die to all that you think you bring to the table that is righteous and join yourselves to Christ. 
And what Paul is saying, you see there, the law simply exposed and even brought about more sin in us without ever addressing the root of our sin. And that's what he says in 8 and 9, sin taking the opportunity through the commandment. Not only did it produce in coveting, it produced all kinds of other things. And, and that's what we said earlier. It's the, the old adage of forbidden fruit. Tell someone not to do something and guess what happens? You know, you're, you're jogging through the park and, you know, you see this picnic bench that it says wet paint do not touch. What do you immediately want to do? Like you've just jogged past 15 benches, didn't even think about touching them. Now the one that says don't touch me, it's like, okay. Don't go in this room. What do you immediately want to do? You know, all they're showing is our sin nature. It arouses our sin nature. We've got this arrogance, this pride that says, don't tell me what to do. You tell me I can't do something, you want to bet? You want to bet? Watch me. And, and, and again, sin takes these rules that are good, and all it does is show you it stimulates more sin in you, that it exposes your heart. And, and listen, was the commandment evil? No. We're evil. And what Paul is saying is mere commands, mere rules will not kill sin. Mere laws won't kill sin. What it will do is stimulate more sin. And you see it in your hand now. Paul's desire is to drive home his point that we will never be righteous on our own, nor will we ever defeat sin. And, and in a sense, I say this cautiously, but in a sense, Israel was God's test case just to prove that. You want me to show you how sinful you are? Here you go. Here you go. They need a Savior. You and I need a Savior. And I think so many of us, my great fear is that so many of us know the gospel. We would recite the gospel. We would tell the gospel. Listen, do we shape our lives every moment of every day? Do we seek to shape our lives and live in light of the fact of the gospel? Or is the gospel simply, just simply an ornament that we've hung on our lives? Is it, is it the sign on the front of the door that says, Welcome to our lovely home, all the meanwhile inside the home you hate each other? Again, have we, in that sense, have we looked to, are, are we, in a sense, guys, in a sense, hear me, we think, we're like Galatians 3, 1, and 3, we think that what began in the Spirit, we then can carry it from there. Hey, God, I got it from here. Appreciate you getting me in, I got it from here. Here's the symptoms of that. You don't read the Word. Don't pray. Church fellowship is Bible study. Taking your walk seriously? Hey, you got it from here. Question is, how's that working for you? Not well. Not well. We began, what was began by the Spirit of God, listen to me, is perfected by the Spirit of God. What began by the Spirit of God is continued day by day in yielding to the Spirit of God. And Christ is our only righteousness. 
and in the Mosaic law, through the Mosaic law, God is in his goodness, in his grace, he is bringing to your mind, he is showing you clearly how sinful you are, that you would turn away from anything external and turn totally to Christ. That you'd just say, I'm done, I'm turning totally to Christ. I'm going to lean, I'm going to join myself completely to Christ. I'm going to die. And in that, if you'll do that, listen, you prove that the law is good because that was the point. To turn you away from yourself and turn you to Christ. And you see it on your handout. What Paul is making clear here is the fact that sin is an active force in our lives that must be dealt with. It is crouching at your door looking for, to devour you. It is always existing to exert influence and power. That's what we were talking about when we talked about free will. You, you are so influenced by sin, it's not free in the sense that you say it's free. And if you don't do anything to deal with that power and influence, you are going to yield and live according to that power, which is sin. You need the Spirit to kill that sin. That's what Paul is saying. Laws will never kill the sin. You may conform outwardly for a while, but your heart is going to win. Your, your nature is going to win out. We need a new nature. We need that Spirit of God to come in us and kill that old nature that is flesh. And our righteousness is only in Christ. And that's why, again, to neglect this word, to not memorize this word, to not study this word, to, to not be prayerful individuals, not unceasing in prayer, Paul says, to, 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 for our fellowship here to be optional and, and just to come in here and to think we can go through the motions and dot, dot, dot and not really be serious about sin. We're saying to ourselves, we don't understand what sin's power really is in our lives. I, we began by the Spirit, but listen, I got this. You don't. And Paul, I mean, Moses says in Deuteronomy 6, 25, it will be righteousness for you if you obey the law. The problem is you don't obey the law perfectly. And he says in there, perfectly. And that's what we said, Galatians 3, 13. We said it last week. That's the curse of the law. You break one point, you break it all. That's the curse. And the law, Galatians 3, 24, you see it in your handout. The law was desperate. It's to lead us to be desperate for a righteousness to come from outside of ourselves. And, and he's saying, don't take what was meant to drive you to Christ and turn it into a boomerang that eventually is going to come back and kill you. Do not find your righteousness through your doing. And that's Paul's conclusion, really, in verse 12. So then the law is holy, the commandment is holy and righteous and good. We need a righteousness from outside of ourselves, and that's what the law tells us. I don't measure up. I need a substitute. And every single day, listen to me. Today when I woke up, Christ was my substitute. Tomorrow when I wake up, Christ is my substitute. The next day when I wake up, Christ is my substitute. That, that's what Paul is saying. What Paul what, what, what Paul puts forth here is the reminder that salvation can never be earned, no matter how good you might be. Listen, on your, you sit on your hand, I'll get through these. On your best day and on your worst day, listen, Christ is our only hope for righteousness. 
on your best day and on your worst day. And that's why Paul says, join yourself, bind yourself to Christ alone. Augustine said this, God commands what we cannot do that we may know what we ought to seek from Him. Calvin says this, In the precepts of the law, God is but the rewarder of perfect righteousness, which all of us lack, and conversely, the severe judge of evil deeds. But in Christ, His face shines, full of grace and gentleness, even upon us poor and unworthy sinners. Amen? That's why Paul could say in Romans 5.20, Where sin abounded, grace what? Much more abounded. Never meant to abuse grace. Simply meant to show off grace. The answer to my life is grace. It's Christ's righteousness, not mine. And listen, even to the bigger point of Romans, and I close here, this is why this matters, unity, unity. If our righteousness is through law-keeping, through doing it ourselves, then all of us are kind of coming here differently, trusting in different things. And we see it now. I listen to this music, I don't listen to this music. I watch this, I don't watch this. I wear this, I don't wear this. I spend this, I don't. You see how disunified we become? But if Christ is my righteousness and he's all of our righteousness, and all of us come in here living outside, out of the overflow of that, now we're unified. Listen, how did we get into the people of God? Not through works of the law and the flesh, through Christ. He is our unity. And secondly, we will never, you'll never make much of Christ as much as he deserves as long as you're clinging to self-righteousness. Why is Christ not glorified in our lives the way that he should? Because all of us, if we're honest, are clinging to self-righteousness. And we'll never praise Christ the way that he is worthy or deserves if we're clinging to self-righteousness. But if what I'm doing is an overflow of what Christ did, now he gets the glory. Now, now you see the, the awesomeness and the continuity of the Bible when it says whether you eat, drink, or whatever you do, do it to what? The glory of God. There will be doing, but it will be to the glory of God. And it's because every single day we've sought to make much of Christ. And every single day we, we have trusted, we have joined ourselves to Him as our righteousness on our best day and on our worst day. And then life becomes gratitude. As we'll see in Romans 13, now love becomes the guiding force in our lives. I don't need all those other laws when I love people the way they should. The point Paul is making is this, cherish Christ. Cling to Christ alone. When you rise up, when you lay down, when you walk about, whatever you're doing in your family, cherish Christ. Talk about Christ. Make much of Christ. Bind, bind your children's hearts so tightly to Christ that they will never grow up to look for righteousness outside of Him. They'll be so contented, so satisfied in Christ that they would never think to look somewhere else. Because as the last handout, He alone is our perfect righteousness. And in order for us to have a right standing with God, our sin must be perfectly 
punished and God's law must be perfectly obeyed. And that's exactly what God did through Christ. Perfectly obeyed his law, perfectly satisfied his wrath. And only Christ accomplished that. Not your law keeping, not my law keeping. Only Christ accomplished that. Amen? Amen.